Are you an athlete who would like to maximize your performance to succeed at the top level? Head on over to my website at jacobandre.com and book a free 15-minute discovery call to discover if and how I can help you. G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. Today, I'm speaking to Shannon Miller. Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So one place I like to start with asking every guest is what did we interrupt in your day today? Um, spreadsheet work, to be absolutely honest. I'm going through a spreadsheet of players um, and updating all their details and contacts. So, yeah, I'm happy to get away and have a chat. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So you mentioned updating a whole list of players. Tell me what you're doing that for. What's this role that you're in at the moment? Uh, yeah, so I work for afl and and I'm the um, talent manager for NT. So that's across boys and girls programs. Um, looking at probably the age group of like 15 through to 18 years old. Um, and yeah, I so looking at the most talented players within the NT and I guess working to give them opportunities outside of NT to ultimately get drafted. Um, so yeah, just going through our list for 2023 and um, yeah, my sort of aim over the next couple of weeks, because um, I'm based in Darwin and the local NTFL season kicks off um, this weekend. So my goal is to sort of connect in with coaches um, at all the different clubs um, to start building those relationships and work so the players get the best out of the NTFL season, but also, you know, working with them so we can, um, yeah, make sure they're performing really well um, leading into the academy season, which is next year. Yeah, awesome. So how did this all come about, this role? Um, yeah, funny story. I didn't actually apply for it. They sort of um, approached me. Um, it was I've always been involved in, I guess, coaching across netball and uh, footy. Um, but um, yeah, and being involved in the um, academy programs across the boys and girls um, as assistant coaches. Um, so really enjoyed that sort of coaching side of things. And then yeah. Um, the uh, talent manager role was advertised. Um, I think it was advertised for a while. Um, anyway, I was approached um, by Sam Gibson, who's the CEO currently, and he asked me, would I be interested in applying? So I kind of went through the application process and, um, yeah, then was successful in receiving the role. So I um, thought I'd take it on. I've never sort of done it, I guess, worked in sport full-time. It's always been as a volunteer coach, um, at different community clubs or the academy. Um, so it's cool to sort of, I guess, be involved and try and create some really positive changes to give these kids more opportunities. Always nice when you're actually asked to apply for a role. Must have felt, yeah. felt good. <laughs> yeah, it's never happened to me before, to be honest. So um, it was nice to be asked. Um, and, um, yeah, it's nice to be, I guess, um, respected in that way, especially in, I guess, uh, male-dominated industry and sport um so it's cool to sort of have that opportunity to work with some great people and um yeah create some change so let's go right back to the beginning and tell me about the shannon miller story where did it all begin um well um originally from like country victoria um little town if you drive through it and blink you'll probably miss it that's how small <laughs> it is <laughs> Um, my grandmother still lives in the same house um, my mum grew up in and, um, yeah, like so but my dad's a builder and the building trade back when I was a kid was just um, really quiet in that, like, country Victoria area. So we'd been to Darwin on a holiday and mum absolutely loved it. Um, so we relocated because um, building trade was going off back then. Um, so I was about 13 when we moved to Darwin, so did sort of high school in the Territory um, played a bit of netball, always loved footy growing up um, as a kid, being from Victoria, um, got brainwashed very young. Um, my dad's a big Saints supporter, so now I'm completely brainwashed into the <laughs> into Saints and they make you very resilient. Let's, let me just tell you that. <laughs> I'm a very resilient person. Um, but, no, so, yeah, relocated to Darwin, um, yeah, involved in sports, like was a swimmer as well, um, played netball, just loved being around sort of active people and being active myself and, yeah, and then, yeah, continued on with netball, 
moved to Queensland to play some netball down there um, for five years. Then my mum got ill, um, so dad was kind of struggling at home on his own with my brother and sister sort of off, you know, my sister had her own family, my brother was a little bit young. Um, so I decided to move back and that's when I got into footy and started playing football myself. Um, and that's when I guess I had that passion for football, um, especially once I started coaching football after I stopped playing. Um, and, yeah, I just sort of found it really challenging um, in particular because it was male-dominated and I was just like, oh, well, this is cool if I can, you know, get in there as a female, especially um, as I stopped playing, the sort of female space, I guess, took off with having um, the AFLW start up. Um, then there was like a really strong pathway. So I was really excited to get involved in that space. Um, and yeah, it's a lot different to coaching netball. You've netball, you've got a netball court of seven people you have to watch. A football <laughs> football field, you got 22 to watch. Um, so I just find it really sort of exciting and challenging um, for myself. And I love to learn. So kind of got involved in football that way and yeah now I'm here which is exciting. What was that little town named in country Victoria? Uh, Piangle. Oh I <laughs> have no town. idea where's that? Um, yeah it's like on the Murray River it's um up north so it's actually across from um New South Wales town called Tullybuck and Tullybuck um is a part of the Murray Valley League football and netball league um but, yeah, it's got, like, a corner store, it's got a post office and it's got, like, your country fire brigade and that's it. It used to have a primary school but the primary school's shut down so it doesn't even have a school anymore. So, oh, really? yeah, I went back I went back and um, I showed my partner around um, only two years ago and they were just like, oh, wow, that's it. I'm like, yep, we did the tour in five minutes. This is the town. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much so here. My, one of my aunties lives in Bright. How far is it from Bright? Um, I think Bright's on the other side of Victoria. So this is okay. um, sort of as you're going to Adelaide, so it's between basically Majura and um, Swan Hill. Um, okay. So which I think Bright's the other direction um, out yeah, of Melbourne. Okay. So, so yeah. what was sport like there growing up? Um, uh, look, I to be honest, there probably wasn't a lot of actual sport or opportunities. We were always active um, as kids, like we grew up, not on a farm, um, as I said, my dad's a builder, but like farmers all around. And we were in the middle of um, my uncle's like vineyard. So we'd often, you know, just be outside on the bikes, um, would say bye to mum as long as we're home by sunset, you know, always good. Um, and we'd just be yeah, out the motorbikes running amok that way. Um, you obviously had your school sports and things like that you participated in. Um, but it wasn't until I was, I didn't actually start playing any competitive kind of sport until I was um, got into swimming. So I was probably about 12 when I started to swim um, and did that competitively right through to I was about 17. Um, and then I didn't start playing netball until I was probably about 13 years old. Um, so again, yeah, actual younger years, it was just more, you know, running a mark as a kid out in the middle of the paddock or, you know, we had a sheep that we would chase around and just torment this poor sheep in the backyard. So it was things like that you did as kids. <laughs> what were your main um, events in the sw in swimming? Um, P.S. I'm an awful swimmer. Like I wasn't <laughs> winning events at all. Um, I may have like long limbs and be tall, but I definitely wasn't winning. Um, but, yeah, I was probably breaststroke was probably my favourite and my strongest. Butterfly have no hope in hell if ever to get that coordination right. I did try a few times, but was never my strong suit. Um, but I just, yeah, loved it because like my brother and sister did it as well. So it was kind of like almost like a family day. On a sad day, we'd go to um, like a country swim carnival and it would be a whole sort of family event where we're with our friends and mum was out there with us. So it was just a, yeah, good time. And you know, kept us active and, yeah, I really enjoyed that time. So you mentioned a holiday to Darwin. Was it the whole family that came up or just your mum? Uh, no, it was the whole family. So we actually, um, mum and dad took us out of school for, um, it was probably about six to eight months and we were actually in a caravan and travelled around Australia. So 
Um, we travelled right up the centre to Darwin um, and then right around the east coast of Australia. So um, awesome trip. Um, I remember the school teacher just printed off a heap of like basically homework we had for six months. We had to sit there and every day mum made sure we were doing some sort of maths or English or reading a book or something like that while we travelled. Um, but yeah, when we came to Darwin, mum just fell in love with it. She had a best friend um, up here. Um, so she already had that sort of connection or someone she knew. And um, yeah, they just fell in love with it. So um, we ended up spending a month here um, during that, that travel. And we weren't meant to be here that long. Um, but then it was almost like a year and a half later and we've packed up and moved yeah, that's freaky. I've got a really good mate who did that. Um, he's one of three. And with his mum and dad, they went from Perth up the west coast to Darwin, got to Darwin yep. and stopped and didn't continue down the east coast and never went back. <laughs> I think that's – I've heard that story repeat itself a few times. Yeah, I think it's just that sort of place. You either love it or you just – it's not for you. And I think once you love it, you just end up staying and you stay for a long time. It's sometimes forever or it's at least 10 years. Um, And it is the kind of place where it is, just has that lifestyle about it. Um, The people as well, because it's so transient as well. You're just always meeting new people, um, finding those new connections. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's a really cool place. It's really hot, especially now with the build-up. But apart from that, like you just, it's hard to not love the place really. Yeah, yeah. When I was born and bred, I've tried to move away three times and it's uh, it's never worked. It's so easy. You keep coming back. Yeah. Um, so I think we're about the same age, which means that if you lobbed up in Darwin in and you went to high school here, that should have been around mid to late 90s, correct? Uh, yeah. So I graduated in 99. Um, yeah, so a yeah. year before me. So what school did you go to? Um, a Lachlan College. I went to um so yeah it was really like well for me it was really good because obviously I was coming from a small country town where I went to a primary school um the primary school as a whole had from like prep through to year seven that's what they did primary school back then (laughs) I sound really old um (laughs) but we had like um 60 people in the whole entire school um so for me to then move to Darwin Darwin's just a huge city and I was just like oh my god 13 years old so the school I went to a Lachlan was massive for me but really it was a small school so um in my cohort um I think we had probably about uh, 30 to 40 um kids which is nearly my whole school like my whole primary school so I was just like oh my god this is huge but really it was a small sort of um Catholic college um it's grown a lot more now and it's a much bigger school um but back then it was a very new school um they'd only just brought in year 11 and 12 um but yeah it was a like it was a really good experience for me I found some of them my bestest friends and I'm still really good friends with a lot of them these days um and it was just um, because it was small, it wasn't a huge transition for me to then go into a massive, you know, school like Darwin High School where there's, you know, a lot more kids. So, um, yeah, really enjoyed it. per age group. Oh, is there? Yeah, yeah see. So there's about yeah. four to 500 per grade level, um, grade 10, grade 11 and grade 12. Yeah. See, a country girl like me coming from school, a whole school of 50 <laughs> into a school like that, I think I would have freaked out. So I was glad I had that sort of transition into a Lachlan where it was a a lot smaller um and it was just up the road from where mum and dad had brought a house so it was really easy for us just to walk to actual school um my brother and sister went to Holy Family which was right next door um so it was just really convenient for all of that especially just transitioning into a new state and new town and all of that sort of stuff you have to deal with as a young person when you relocate. Yeah so once you're in Darwin what was the first sport that you got into was it footy netball Nah, definitely I didn't start playing footy until I was like 25 um because that was always a boy sport um and it was never and my dad was real strong on that it was really funny when I started playing footy but I'll tell that story in a minute um but I started playing netball and I I was took up swimming again so when we um relocated um I got into um the Darwin 
I think it was called the Darwin Swim Club and I forgot they're based at Pratt Pool, I think. Um, well, that's where we trained and then, yeah, got into netball. So um, started just playing sort of junior netball. Um, the club at the time, which they're not around anymore, was called Checkmates. <laughs> funniest name for a netball club but anyway um and yeah so got into that which was for me it was probably the first time I've actually played sort of competitive sport um in a team sport too because I've always done swimming which is very sort of individualized and I think that sort of being a swimmer definitely helps with your sort of I guess your mental toughness um and your focus because you're in that water on your own for you know can be a short time it could be a long time depending on what event you're doing um but yeah so it was my first time actually playing a team sport and yeah it was really good so sort of got into netball and swimming um which that's where I met you know 90% of my best friends is through sport so it's a great avenue to meet people I got into swimming for a little bit because I was doing surf lifesaving and I wasn't bad at swimming I was a decent swimmer not competitively but I was you know a good swimmer and I used to hate just following a black line up and down <laughs> and I through surf lifesaving I had a friend her name was Amy McDonald who you may or may not know I and do she, know would, Amy. Yep. she would say that she would do her maths homework while she was swimming laps looking at this black line was there anything that you used to do to take your mind away from the numbness of going up and down a black line <laughs> um I, look, I I don't know, I, and I probably still do it now and people, because I do a lot of walking, like I walk my dogs and I do like I go for runs and things like that and people like, and I don't listen to music, I don't listen to podcasts, I don't do anything, it's just me and my thoughts and people like, how do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know, I just, I'm happy to do it, I love doing it and it's just, I, it's a time to think. Um, so I couldn't tell you, I don't think I've ever, actually ever focused on one specific thing. I think I've just got... Um, a habit of just love just being in my own head sometimes and just thinking and sorting things out and it could be my day it could be like homework it could have been absolutely anything because I know at the, at the moment when I still sort of do a lot of stuff um, where I'm on my own and it's just me doing going for a walk going for a swim or whatever it might be um, it's a lot of just working out the day or you know what's coming up for me um, being a coach I that's my thinking time and that's where I come up with a lot of my sort of ideas so you know being a coach I usually come up with like a theme for the day like for the match day like some sort of you know theme or word or what we're going to focus on and that's where I come up with the ideas is when I'm out on my own just thinking but yeah people get amazed and think I'm really strange for not having headphones in when I'm doing things they're just like how do you do that I'm like oh it's just I love it it's great <laughs> works that's for me awesome. I love that that's I used to do a similar thing I listen to music now but I used to run and just listen to like the wind through the trees or birds chirping whatever even just traffic um and funnily enough I kind of run this similar loop to what I see you walking and so often I would see you walking your dogs in the morning when I'm driving to work so it's cool to know that now that's you doing your like little meditation planning your coaching yep. stuff yeah, yeah yeah it's you it's a hundred percent that's where 99 percent of my ideas for coaching even just being in the role I'm in now coming up with things to make um I don't know the processes better um just everything it's just yeah that's where I do my thinking that's where my ideas and I usually come home and I'm like right I need to write that down somewhere find my phone or find a piece of paper like um yeah it's really funny but I I love it that's what I do yeah someone said to me it was actually a cooking teacher said to me once um something about meditation and I said oh I don't really not that I'm against meditation I love it but um, I said, I don't really meditate. Uh, and she was like, yeah, but what do you like to do? And I said, oh, I love running. I love just going for a run. But she said, oh, well, that's your meditation. So I think like, you know, you can go for runs, bike rides, swims or walks, you know, anything like that. And it can be like meditation. Yeah, I think once you find what works for you, um, you just have to stick with it. Um, and, yeah, I'm not a big person where you sit there and actually 
room silent and all that kind of stuff um, and have the music playing and really kind of deep breathing. Um, that's probably not for me. I, I 90% fall asleep <laughs> when I do that. Um, so for me, it's actually just being on my own and being in my own thoughts, but actively doing something like going for a walk or a bike ride or swimming. So, yeah. So you've started to touch on some coaching. So if we go from your netball playing career with the checkmates, I know that you ended up with Hoggies and that was a very successful team that you, I think, were playing in, but you were definitely coaching from my memory. How did that or had that, tell me about that sort of period of time through coaching and playing netball. How did you get from checkmates into Hoggies and all that kind of thing? Yeah, so Checkmates um, basically folded. Um, I think I only played there like my junior years. Um, once I sort of turned 17 um, well, 15, um, Checkmates had folded. So I moved to a club called Uni Sharks. Um, they've now folded as well. I've got a habit of clubs folding, but that's okay. Um, and Uni Sharks, that's where I started. I was 15. So I played my first sort of senior um like competition at 15. So I was playing sort of the A grade here in Darwin. Um, when I moved away, when I was about seven, uh, I think I was about 18, I moved to Queensland. Um, when I came back at age sort of 24, 25, um, I wasn't going to play netball, but a friend called me um, late one night, like 10 o'clock, <laughs> and was just like, you have to come play netball um, and be involved. And, and it was called... Uni Sharks had changed their name to Uni Hoggies um, or Hoggies. Um, so that's where I got involved um, with Hoggies and was there for pretty much right through to when I sort of retired at sort of 34, 33 or 35, however, however old I was. Um, and, yeah, we I was just a player for the first couple of years, but then I sort of moved into, I guess, a playing coaching role. I've always sort of coached junior netball so under 15s um under 16s um but yeah then I sort of became that player coach um we were successful in the sense that we were um always competitive every single year but I do know um playing and I'm pretty sure it was seven in a row we played um grand finals so we made the grand final for the premier league division um and seven in a row we lost grand finals could not win one to save my life um but that's okay remember I'm very for St Kilda so I'm resilient and I've got a strong mind because I was a swimmer so we've established that so um I was determined to keep going um but anyway so it was sort of that seventh eighth year we made the grand final again um and we ended up winning so that was really awesome to be that sort of player coach um and actually come out with that win but um, yeah, I tell you what, there's some grand finals there where there was tears afterwards because, um, you know, there was one grand final where we lost by a goal and I was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> we lost <laughs> by a goal. Um, but that grand final we won was amazing. We then went on to win the grand final the following year, so we won back-to-back grand finals. Um, the year after that we, didn't, we made finals but didn't make the grand final. But then we came back the year after and won the grand final again. So ended up winning three grand finals um, playing netball, which was amazing, but definitely have lost my fair share. Um, and losing seven in a row was pretty tough. Like by the seventh, I was just like, okay, I think I'm just done. I'm going to retire. But anyway, stuck in there and I'm glad I did because it was well rewarded in the end. Um, but, yeah, just always been involved in that sort of, giving back to the sport so that's why I got into coaching I was never really I'd umpire and help out with umpiring but that wasn't really my strong suit um but actually coaching and helping sort of young people um and improve them was always just something I really enjoyed and sort of passionate about so that's kind of why I sort of always helped out the juniors um and then became that sort of player coaching role as well you just sparked the memory. Uh, and so that did we do some stuff on video analysis together? I, a guy called Paul Mead came to me probably around 2012, 13, and said he wanted to start this business. And so we started this business together called Darwin Academy of Sport. And one of the things that we were doing was video analysis, I think using Rick Nolan's um, software, sports, yep. sports clip maker, yeah. 
did were we doing that with hoggies? Yes, you were. So um, Paul came in. Um, God, you are. How did you remember that? Um, <laughs> Paul finally yeah. the way it was done. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we definitely we sort of. I, I'm one of those people that I love to just try different things. So and I love to like. Um, I'm open to learning as well. So bringing in that sort of video analysis, bringing in you know experts to help with you know, sports training or strength or whatever it might be to get the best out of um, each individual in the team. I'm, yeah, I'm all about it. So, um, yeah, we tried pretty much everything um, through all of that sort of coaching time um, to just try and get the best out of the players. So, yeah. Are you an Aussie rules footballer who would like to maximise your performance to succeed at the top level? My Australian rules football dynamic group coaching program is a 12-phase program that has been curated from my 15 plus years working as a strength and conditioning coach with local footballers right through to AFLW players at Adelaide and Richmond. To get instant access to my Australian Rules Football Dynamic Group Coaching Program, simply head on over to jacobandre.com forward slash Australian dash rules dash football. So talking about grand finals and winning them, in the last couple of weeks, I've had a few different guests on who are um, men's Premier League coaches and Ryan Ayres and Anthony Vallejo both talked about the value of losing a grand final before winning one. Then Shannon Motlop talked about how he didn't think you needed to lose one. Um, funnily enough, he obviously played in his first AFL season and won a grand final. Uh, but where's, where do you sit on it, on the value of losing a grand final and, and the importance of losing a grand final before winning one? <sighs> Oh, look, if you can go out and win a grand final in your, you know, your first season, you try, um, I bring that on. Like, that would be amazing. But I think I think for people to develop and grow and get better um, and really sort of keep pushing themselves, you always have to lose something or you always have to fail at something at some point. So if that's failing to win a grand final in your first, you know, crack, that's okay because you've learnt from that and hopefully you can grow. So I'm all about, you know, failing and it may not be a grand final. Um, I coached Nightcliff for five seasons in the Women's Premier League. When I first started coaching them, they hadn't won a game in like two years or something two years, I think, two seasons, they hadn't won a game um, and they were losing games every week by 100 points or more. Um, so that first season wasn't about, you know, getting to a grand final and making, like, winning a grand final. It was just those picking up those small successes um, and trying to just improve on those. But we definitely failed a lot. So if you go into a grand final and you haven't won one before, um, and you end up losing, like, it's just all learning you can take away from that. Um, I think it's just important that no matter what we try, we're always going to fail at it. There's no one's perfect. We're all human. Failing's just part of it. It's just how we handle that failure um, and how we adapt and how we grow from that to be able to come out better and, like, you know, bigger um, to be able to take it on. Um, yeah, well, with the Nightcliff, we ended up making the grand final in my fourth season. Um, and, yeah, we lost that against um, Darwin Buffaloes. So that was a learning for everyone because 90% of those girls had never played in any kind of grand final before. So it was definitely a learning. Um, the next season we went out, we still made top sort of four, I think, at the end of the season, um, but didn't quite make the grand final. But, yeah, it was definitely a learning curve and it makes those players hungry too. So if you get to a grand final and you haven't won, it just makes you hungry to try and get that um, and actually get that success. Um, I had seven in a row, so I was definitely resilient to know, like, I really want this success. I'm not actually going to back out of this and I'm not going to walk away until I have this grand final success because I want to know what that feels like at the end of the game when everyone's hugging each other because they're so excited they've just won. I want that feeling. I don't want that feeling of, you know, not quite getting there. So, definitely helps to not be successful the first time but god if I got it the first time I'd be on top of the world <laughs> would have been a great feeling to get it the first time so after the seven years when you finally win that premiership was that your last year with netball 
No, so I, I still went back and I played the following year. Um, I then sort of um, took a step back and I just um, just coached the next two seasons. So um, we didn't the I did win a um, season with netball just as a sideline coach, um, which that was the second season I'd been a sideline coach um, and it was the first time we'd made a grand final as a sideline coach. Um, so to win that on the sideline as well when you actually can't control what the players are doing or can't control the game because you're not out there was a really big learning experience for me but really sort of proud um, to be able to be a sideline coach and have that success on the netball court. Um, after that, that's when I sort of stepped away from netball because I got quite involved in football um, and I was just struggling to do netball and football. It was pretty much 12 months of the year. So netball is played in the dry season here in Darwin and the football is played in the wet season. So it was pretty much 12 months of the year I was involved in sport and I kind of just needed that break for myself and I was really enjoying the challenge of football. Um, so I sort of made that a priority. So what was the motivation behind getting into football, especially when you said your dad didn't believe that, please correct me if I'm wrong here, that females shouldn't be playing the sport? Back in the day, yeah, he's a huge fan. He watches more AFLW than I do now, so, like, he's a massive fan. Um, however, when I, when I first started playing, it, I think I was 24, 25, and I came home one day because I'd moved back in with my mum and dad and came home one day and I'm like I'm gonna play football and dad's just like what are you talking about women do not play football it's a boy sport like you're like basically you're an idiot what are you talking about I'm like nah I'm gonna give it a crack like all the netball players play so it's like all my mates are doing it it'll be fun like it's learning something new because I've never played it Um, I'm gonna give it a crack so I did and I remember you came out and watched our first um football game and um I remember after the game, like we were awful. We weren't great at all. It was very social back then. There was no pathway for women's football. There was no juniors. It was just like your senior sort of football. Um, And a lot of us were playing for the first time. And Dad, I remember I walked up to him and he's just laughing. He's he's like, oh, my God, that was just the funniest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, oh, this is really not what I want to hear right now. It's just like, well, at least you're trying. And I'm like, oh, yeah, great, thanks. <laughs> at least I'm trying. <laughs> um, but he then didn't miss a game and he then just became a huge fan of women's football, um, huge fan of me and a huge supporter of me, especially when he could see us all improve and when he then saw the juniors come into it. Um, and then when I got into coaching, I was coaching under-18s at Waratahs and he didn't miss a game, like, and he's coming out and watching me coach and I'm just like, Dad, you don't have to be here. He goes, no, I'm not going to miss a game. Like, I'm, this is great. This is great that, you know, these young women are playing and that you're coaching and I just, yeah. And then I moved to Nightcliff with the Women's Premier League and, again, he never missed a game that I coached. So he was out there every week and I think he lives through the players and sits on the sideline and gets more excited about things. And, yeah, my um, his wife a few times has had to tell him to be quiet um, because he's yelling <laughs> at the girls or yelling at me to tell the girls to do something or he's getting upset at the umpires or, yeah, something like that. Um, but, yeah, he's very involved now and huge fan. But, yeah, it was just that mentality um, I think, and I think it's still, you know, around for quite a few people where it is, you know, football's a boy sport and that's how he was brought up. So for him to now change his mindset and be a huge fan of women's footy and see how much it's improved and see the success, you know, women are having in the sport, um, to me that's a huge win. Um, and I was able to do that with my dad and, you know, if we can do that with other people, um, you know, that's great as well. But, you know, it's just takes a bit of time. But, yeah, that first game, he's just laughing at me. I was just like, oh, great, this is going to be a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me more of a timeline of your coaching career at Nightcliff Football Club. How many years and what was the journey like? Yeah, so I um, stopped playing footy and netball pretty much at the same time. So I was about 34 um, and they didn't have a – they didn't have a coach at Waratahs for the under-18 girls. So they 
asked me, they're like, you coach netball, you'll be able to coach a football team. I'm like, a little bit different, um, but okay, I'm up for the challenge. Um, so I coached the under-18s at Waratahs for two seasons um, and then I just got into like the academy coaching at the same time and really sort of enjoyed um, just coaching um, and um, being involved um, with the like with just young people um, and I just wanted to challenge myself a bit more so I applied for the Nightcliffe um, Premier League coaching role. Um, I applied for a few other roles as well um, with a few other clubs as Premier League uh, women's coaches um, but yeah was successful with Nightcliffe so I took that role as a bit of a challenge um, to myself uh, and yeah, I ended up being there for five seasons. So it's just this year that I've stepped away um, from Nightcliffe and coaching um, for the minute why I'm in the talent role with AFLNT. So um, yeah, and it was a really great journey, you know, coaching a women's Premier League side. Um, yeah, I had a lot of enjoyment out of it. Huge learning curve for me, um, but yeah, it was really, really good. Do you remember where you finished each season across those five years? Yeah, so the first the first season um, we had success because we actually won a couple of games. Um, so the first half of the season, you know, I remember getting home some days and I was almost in tears because I was like, oh, my God, we're not improving. We're still losing by 100 points. Um, so then I was doubting my own processes, um, but we I stuck to them. Um, and by the end of the season, I think we ended up winning – um, two games, three games, um, which was a huge success after, you know, the club not winning a game for so many seasons. Um, the next season we actually made it um, into finals. So we ended up fifth on the ladder and made it into finals. We lost out in the first final. Um, the third season we ended up um, being, uh, I think it was third on the ladder um, and ended up progressing to the um uh, semi-finals um, got knocked out um, and then for the fourth season we I think um, minor premiers on top of the ladder um, made it to the grand final um, and lost the grand final um, and then last season uh, we were I think ended up fourth or fifth on the ladder so still quite competitive um, and that's just what we want we just want to be competitive and try and just keep pushing for that grand final not that that I'm there anymore but I do know they're still aiming for that because I'm you know still close to quite a lot of the players but um yeah so definitely improved over the five years um and I also got the opportunity while I was at the club um to be one of the assistant coaches for the men's premier league so the men's at the time I was the midfield coach when they won the two premierships back to back so um that was a really cool experience to be a part of the men's program um, and be about be a part of that success as well, um, which is awesome. And that was the year we were St Mary's, and it was a draw, and it went into overtime in the grand final. That was, um, yeah, that was an experience, very hectic <laughs> in yeah. that coach's box. <laughs> I, I can imagine. What was well, actually take me into the coach's box? What was it like? <laughs> was it, it was, calm? You know, as much as possible. Was it like oh, you know, everyone processed? Yeah, it was really funny because everyone processed it differently. Um, I'm hands down was the calmest person in the box. Um, I was I was just sitting there just going, look, at the end of the day, we actually can't do anything. Like it's up to the players now. And um, But everyone sort of had their own process. There was four of us in there, um, the head coach. There was five of us in there, sorry, because we had someone doing the board, um, the head coach and the three line coaches. Um, and there was just... One minute we're all quiet. Next thing you know, there's something being thrown against the window <laughs> because <laughs> someone, some of the headsets come off and it's just flown against the window because someone's, you know, kicked, kicked the ball in the wrong direction or um, missed a mark or a tackle or something like that. Um, but then there was, like, moments of, you know, someone was pacing up and, da- up and back behind us because they just couldn't sit still because they were just like, oh, my God, I don't know how to handle this. So they were pacing. Um so it was just a very kind of mixed emotions. Like I think that sort of, you know, 15 minutes, like that last sort of five minutes of the actual game and then the overtime, so that 15, 20 minutes was 
if you could name every emotion, we definitely, every single one of us had it at some point. Um, but, um, yeah, there wasn't a lot you could do. As a coach, you just have to trust and back your players um, that they're going to finish it off and trust the process of the season that's just been, um, that they've got the experience to get through it. But, yeah, as a coach, there was a lot happening. And it didn't help that our, because we were up in the box at TIO, um, it didn't help that our coach on the sideline took his headset off because he was so excited but also so anxious. So we actually couldn't get messages to the team either. <laughs> so that, that just added to everybody's anxiety in the box as well because we actually could not do a thing about anything. So um, looking back, you kind of laugh laugh about it because it just so emotional. Um, but in the moment you're like, oh, God, please just let this be like a good result. Please, like, <laughs> please, let, that, please let that player kick that goal or mark that footy and, um, yeah, but no, it was um, wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, it sounds super exciting. It sounds to me like there may be a little bit of unfinished business coaching the women's side, having not won the premiership. Do you think that you'll be back to have a crack at that one day? Um, oh, look, I think I'll be back coaching for sure. Like I definitely um, miss that sort of um, connection with people um, and actually being involved uh, with the actual team and being in the, you know, in a sanctum of a team. Uh, so I'll definitely go back to coaching. What that looks like, I'm not sure. But, yeah, I would definitely love to be a part of um, be the head coach of a team that's successful in a grand final um, in the future. That would definitely be a goal. I've done it with netball. I'd love to be able to sort of tick that off with um, a football team as well. So last one on Nycliffe women's side. How did you measure, measure success over the five years? Um. Yeah, it was for me. It was probably just those small wins. Um, you know, progressing up the ladder was definitely sort of one that you knew you were getting that sort of success. But for me, it's more about the players' success and seeing the players improve individually. So if I, you know, had a player that had never played footy before, um, and then by the end of like the fourth season, she was a confident footballer. Um, you know, being able to kick the footy and hit a target, um, not hesitate around the ball and actually take that tackle or head over the ball and drive her legs through. If I, and I saw that in a lot of the players I coach where they were very sort of timid and not confident in themselves and their ability, by, you know, season four or five, to see that improve, to me that's success. So it wasn't necessarily on the ladder um, or in the results or anything like that. For me, it was more about the players and making sure if I could see that in players, like I knew I was on the right path and had the right processes in place. Um, because if you can give your players those tools to go out on the field um, and execute, you know, a strong game, you've done your job as a coach, really. Like if you can do that and instill that in players, um, you, you can't sort of fault your processes um, when it comes down to it. So that for me was success and that's how I sort of measured it. Um, and looking back on the players I've coached, um, you know, a lot of them hadn't had, well, there's probably about four or five that had never had a, another football coach. I was their only football coach. Um, and to see how they've improved and to see now they're, strong footballers in the actual competition, um, yeah, makes you really proud and to know that you sort of impacted on that person's life um, on and off the field. So to me, that's success. Yeah, you just mentioned on and off the field. And what I find really interesting is that I've had the pleasure of being able to interview a lot of coaches and particularly in the last few uh, episodes of this show, the last episode was with Heidi Thompson, who's the coach at Waratahs. She's entering her third season on a three-year contract. And she talked uh, in that last episode about the development of people outside of the game, but also development in their skills. And so they obviously made the grand final last year and lost it to Pine. Uh, Heidi was already talking about, not that she said it to the players, but for her, that season was already a success before they even made the grand final because of stuff that she was measuring success on. And ultimately, like what she said on the episode for this up, upcoming season, one of her 
focuses, you mentioned themes as well, one of her focuses for this season is improving kicking. So it's so interesting that I think the most successful coaches, and when I say successful, I'm referring to successful in terms of, yes, like winning games, but more importantly, like developing players as players and as people outside of sport, just in terms of like confidence, resilience, all that type of thing. Um, th- there's a real theme. There's, there's a like there's a some very common themes that come across with all good coaches. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm big on like just empowering people. I think that's the big thing. Um, as a coach, you just want to empower people, um, and you just want to you know encourage them to keep learning um, and encouraging them to be the best versions of themselves. Um, and if you can do that where you're empowering them to go out and it might be applying for a job that they didn't think they could do. Um, At the moment, you know, being in the academy space, we've got quite a few sort of young players that are doing Year 12 and applying for uni applications. Um, And I've already sat down with a couple of players and helped them with their, you know, a scholarship application and going through that sort of process. But empowering them to say, you can do this. Why can't you apply for that? Why can't you sort of put yourself out there? Um, Just one player yesterday was sort of sitting here um, talking about, you know, she wants to sort of, you know, go down south and, you know, go down and, you know, see what the VFL is all about or the quaffle. And I said, well, have you reached out to any clubs? And she's like, no, I was just waiting for them to contact me. And I'm like, well, no, how about we, you know, put feelers out there and you reach out to them, have a think about where you want to go and what clubs you want to be involved at and let's be on the front foot and, you know, reach out to them. And she's like, oh, oh, can I do that or, like, should I do that? And I'm like, of course, let's put put yourself out there, mate. Like, you're a great player. Why not put yourself out there and give you that opportunity? Yes, some may say no, but what if they say yes? Like, um, and you shouldn't just wait for them to come to you because you might be waiting a while. Like, they might think you've got other plans or they might think you're not interested. So let's just put it out there because you just never know. So if you can, yeah. For me, that's like I get a real sort of sense of fulfilment if I can help people um, not only on the field but off the field. But, yeah, as a coach, I think if you're, um, I guess, a good coach, you'll have that effect. Even if you're not meaning to do it off the field, you'll um, have that effect on their life off the field without even realising it. So, um, yeah, for me it's a really big thing Um, and I'm big on just that, you know, I have a big thing and I'm big on, um, like, it's going to sound silly, but I'm big on, um, like, Wonder Woman um, and just the power pose in itself and just being powerful and you are a superhero. Why can't you, you know, if something sort of faces you on the field that you think, oh, I'm just going to give up or even in life, like, nah, you have superpowers. So let's use those and bring in that strength yourself to be able to, like, overcome it whatever it might be yeah you're starting to touch on so many aspects of mindset you know from like self-esteem and confidence the resilience and sport really is a vehicle that can drive so many areas of life and improve your life as a whole Uh, so what is your goal for this role that you're in now oh look my goal for in this role I would you know I'd love to just be able to have an impact on some players um, lives um, but I'll like and give them opportunities they may not necessarily get you know just in their day-to-day sort of moving along um, I'd love to bring in a really nice like clear pathway so players when they're sort of you know even as young as sort of 12 13 um, can look at something and say look if I play this carnival I then get to play this carnival and then I get to go to do this um, and they've just got something to aim for and they can see that as kids that if I keep going along this pathway, you know, I can potentially reach my goals um, because, you know, goals, everyone should have goals and everyone should be always, you know, out to achieve something, um, whatever that might 
be. Um, but being in sort of, I guess, this role, it's about showing kids that they, if they work hard, because it is, it's hard work, you can't just, it won't just fall on your lap. That's why you have to put yourself out there. That's why you have to train. Um, but if I keep working hard and I achieve, you know, playing in this carnival or getting recognised in this representative team or doing this and doing that, and they can see that clearly, um, it makes it more tangible um, and more achievable for young people, I think, because um, I think if you can't see it, it's hard to believe it, but if you can see it um, and then you start achieving it bit by bit um, up that ladder and you keep climbing it, hopefully you do then get to the end where you are drafted and then get to go to an AFL club and get that whole experience of hopefully having a great AFL career. So, you know, I'd love to be able to, you know, bring that in Um we already have some great pathways, but just to really make that clear for young people um, and help them along their journey, I think would be a really awesome achievement um, over the next couple of years. Yeah, best of, best of luck with it. What is the big picture for you? Uh, really good question because <laughs> I think that changes. <laughs> um, and I think it changes um, often, but that's okay because we're all growing and all learning and, you know, priorities change. Um Big picture for me right now is just to focus, like I've only been in this role for about seven months, um, so really just want to focus in on this role um, and then just take any opportunities along the way. Um, you know, two weeks ago I was lucky enough to um, arrange and take two sort of our two young girls down to um, the Gold Coast Suns, so they spent five days down there where they got to train with the AFLW girls, they got to go to AFLW game, they went pre-game, after game, play a review the next day. Um, so got the full experience, but then I also got the full experience. So I was able to take some personal development out of that and, you know, um, shadow coaches, um, shadow other, like the manager down there, um, things like that. So I think if I can just keep learning um, and take opportunities that as they come and just to continue to grow myself. But definitely at the moment it's just um, this role and to tr really try and, you know, create a legacy here um, that someone else can sort of carry on. If the opportunity came up, because you're going to be making some incredible networks, if the opportunity came up to work at an AFLW club or, or I shouldn't say AFLW but any AFL club, uh, would you take it? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. No, I'm not going to lie. Um, that would be amazing. Like if, yeah, if anyone got an opportunity to, I guess, you know, be involved with an AFL club um, or even just like the national talent team, um, yeah, I would 100%, you know, jump on that opportunity um, to be involved in that for sure. Shannon, I want to wish you best of luck for all of that. I really hope I see you coaching a AFL <laughs> club one day uh, and winning a premiership at that AFL club. That would be awesome. I say, I knew that lady. Um, <laughs> one step at a time, one step at a time. <laughs> exactly. I, like, I actually have on my phone my little um, desktop, unless my kids have changed it, um, they have actually, my little wallpaper on my phone is two ladders and um, it's a picture I got off the internet and on one ladder on the one side it's got rungs really like the first rung is really high up and they're very fast spread apart and then on the other ladder their rungs start really low and there's lots of them all the way up and the person on the first ladder where the rungs are really spread apart can't reach the first rung and yeah. the other person on the other ladder where it's got lots of little rungs is at the top and he's up in the clouds and that's just a reminder for me, like small steps, because I'm that first one. I'm always like trying to take big leaps. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Steps. No, I'm de I'm definitely about those small steps. Like I just, yeah. And I have to keep like I as a coach too. You have to remind people of that too. Just trust the process. Um, you think what we're doing now is madness, or you're hating life because you're running laps at the footy over, or whatever it might be. Um, but just trust the process because it's one step at a time and you'll eventually get there if you keep aiming for your goals. So, yeah. And I think if you looked back on your life at where you've come from and what you were doing, I'm pretty sure we went to uni together. I'm pretty sure we did a sports, did. Science, yeah, sports science degree yep. together back in the early 2000s. Like what, what, was your, what were you doing that for? Do you remember why you um, started a sports science degree? <laughs> I started it to be a PE teacher um, 
and everyone still thinks I'm a teacher and I've never taught anything, anyone in my life apart from coaching. So even I coach teachers and they would they would be like, what school do you teach at? And I'm like, I don't. I'm not a teacher. <laughs> I've never <laughs> been a teacher. Um, but that's why I started that. But I only was there for 12 months and then I deferred to go away and play netball um, and I never went back to uni. So oh, I've like, done you didn't a- finish your sports science degree. Nah, I've never never finished it. Oh, well, I did a double degree in sports science and teaching, and I always thought you were in the straight sports science stream. Um, mm. I don't, but honestly, you should go back and finish it, and then do the great yeah. dip in teaching and become, you know, it's such a good degree. Yeah. Oh no, hands down, it sounds like a great degree, but I just never went back and finished it. I went and played netball, and then um, yeah, moved back to Darwin and just got a job and. Yeah, just have never done it. So I've done a, like a lot of sort of, I guess, smaller sort of diplomas and things like that, um, but never gone back and finished that degree. But, yeah, the aim was to be a PE teacher um, back then and, yeah, have never done that. <laughs> keep well, getting so, sidetracked. <laughs> well, you get, get, te- keep getting too many good opportunities and when you're <laughs> successful and, um, you know, good at what you do, um, you're always going to get plenty of opportunities. So, yeah, probably don't need to. But if we were to go back, because this is about 20 years ago now, if, if reflecting on the last 20 years of your life, inside of sport, outside of sport, what is the thing that you're most proud of in that last 20 years? Um, oh, most proud of. Um, look, I was probably um, pretty proud that I was able to actually move away at age sort of 18 um, to Brisbane where I didn't know anybody um, with the help of my mum like my mum's now passed but my mum was a huge sort of supporter of me and you know my best friend but she more or less you know kind of kicked me out of school I'm um, not out of school out of home um, and in a nice way um, and yeah I went and actually went to Brisbane on my own didn't know anybody um, and set up a life there for myself so I lived there for like five years um, I made, played netball down there, got a job, um, made a really good network of friends, which became a second family. Um, and to do that as a young sort of person, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, these days can't do that or fail at doing that or end up, you know, got moving back with mum and dad. And that's fine too, but I was really proud that I was able to do that um, and actually survive on my own and become sort of, I guess, an adult. Um and then to be able to, like, have that ability to move home and help mum um, when she wasn't at her best and help dad and support them, um, proud of that as well. So, yeah, that was probably, like, the last 20 years. There's plenty to be proud of, but, you know, actually moving out on your own and doing it on your own where you don't know anyone in a pretty big city is, um, yeah, you got to be proud of yourself for that big lesson there for anyone uh, for everyone but particularly anyone that's coming up to that point in their life Shannon I just want to acknowledge you for that and also all of the coaching and that you do and the lives that you've touched and thank you for your time on the Mind Your Body show today but before I go I would like to get into our 10 in 10 so I've worded you up before we started recording as you've been talking I've been writing and I've got nine things here plus a generic number 10 that I ask everybody that I'm going to ask you for the first thing that comes to mind on. You ready to go? Sure. Can't wait. (laughs) All right. Number one, job-related, territory talent. Uh, Young people. Number two, coaching. Football. Number three, being part of a male-dominated sport. Challenging. Number four, the AFLW. Uh, Pathway for women. Number five, growing up in the country. Oh, look, fun. It was just fun to grow up in the country um, and be close to family and, yeah, just fun, yeah. Number six, what was it like travelling around the country with your family in the caravan? Um, an experience, like I think any family that's done that sort of travelling for like a long period of time um, is definitely an experience and you just come away with so many memories as well. So an experience and memories. Would you ever do it again, like now as an adult? 
with my yeah if, yeah if I ever yeah if I ever have my own family I think it would be cool to do that um and travel around because I think you can learn a lot by doing that with your kids or even just with you and your partner or you know you can learn a lot um and you just create so many memories um and you go back and even now I go back and look at the photos and I'm like kind of remember but kind of don't but it's really cool that you've got that memory um or something might trigger it um yeah so I think it's really cool to do and yeah I probably would don't know if I, I'd probably find a better caravan or you know something. not sure like it was very small space for five people but anyway we made it work <laughs> <laughs> another seven Darwin Ah, home. It's definitely um, my home. I know I sort of grew up in country Victoria, but Darwin's definitely home. Um, My brother and sister and my dad are still here um, and it's definitely somewhere where I just feel safe and comfortable and, yeah, it's definitely home. I didn't realise you had a brother and sister that were still here. Do they play any sport? (laughs) I only laugh because they're (laughs) probably the most opposite of playing sport um my sister was very good at swimming but no she doesn't play sport um and hasn't played sport for a long time she kind of got back into netball there for a couple of years um but now her and I we have um our sister time on a Saturday morning we do deep water running um so that's sort of our time that we do um and my brother not really like he tried but he's just um yeah no he he pumps iron and goes to the gym he's one of those dudes um but you know they're both parents and have got three kids um each um so they're very focused on their families and that but definitely weren't sporty by any means if yeah and even just watching sport like it's me and my dad that sit there and watch the footy it's not the three it's not four of us watching footy at all (laughs) like it's just who can't stand it and my brother kind of watches it whenever he sort of feels like it but yeah it's me and my dad that is sitting there and that you can't talk to us because we're that invested in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, the importance of failure. Uh, extremely important. I think for anybody to succeed, you have to have that failure um, and it's just going to come in life. Um, um, unfortunately, it will. Um, we can't be successful 100% of the time. We're all human um, things aren't going to go our way. And I think it's we all need to learn how to sort of handle that failure um, to be able to then come out and um, overcome that. And some people don't handle failure well at all, um, but then some people do. And usually the people that know how to handle it and can sort of grow and learn from that have the most success. Um, but, yeah, I think it's super important. Number nine, fatherly support. Yeah, I think any parent support is um, is really sort of strong. Like you, for me, like I was lucky. I had really, really good parents um, and I wouldn't change my parents for anything in the world. And to have my dad's support, especially through my football journey and for him to change his mindset and grow for a man that I didn't think would ever change his mindset about anything because he's the most stubbornest man or stubborn man I've ever met um I think is just I'm really grateful to have supportive parents um and yeah grateful would be this word there for sure and number 10 this is this is a generic question which I ask everybody it's time travel you can go forward in time or back in time to any point in time to which point in time would you go to and why Oh, the only one that sticks out for me, and it's I use it as an example quite often in my coaching sort of journey, um, is when I was in Brisbane playing netball, I had an opportunity to, um, I guess, try out for the state team in Brisbane um, and I didn't show up for the trials and I would go back and show up because I was then told by my coach two days later, she called me and she's like, why didn't you show up for the you know, the Queensland state trials. And I said, I just, I remember calling my mum and I was just crying and I was just really overwhelmed and I just I just couldn't do it. So I stayed home and she's like, well, all you had to do was just show up. If you had shown up, you would have got into the team because they wanted you in the team and you just had to show up. And I learned a lot from that. Again, that's failure. Learn a lot 
um, that showing up is just half the battle. Um, and if you can just show up, sometimes it just you can reap the rewards from just being there. Um, so it's an example I use a lot um, in my coaching, um, but it is something that I guess if I had the opportunity to go back, I would definitely change that and I would have just shown up. One last one as we wrap up here, what advice would you give to any young person? Um, any young person would be just to keep trying like and just if you've got a goal you've got to work hard it's not going to come to you easily um some things may just you know and if you get an opportunity take it um don't say no to opportunities that come your way because those opportunities are few and far between so definitely take up any opportunities you can um and if it doesn't succeed the first time keep trying because you just never know um and you're only young once so just yeah push through and yeah you will get success if you keep working hard shannon it's been a great chat thank you so much for your time today on the mind your body show no worries at all thanks for having me what's the most overlooked part of running but the most important your mechanics my new course running mechanics 101 is a nine module course which will teach you how to run more efficiently and effectively for free instant access simply head on over to jacobandre.com